0: Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of the Gen Z GOP podcast. I'm John Olds, and I'm alongside my co host, Ryan Doucette. Mike Brodo couldn't make it today. He's feeling a bit under the weather, and we wish him all the best. It's been a banner week for Gen Z GOP. Uh, We've been all over the media, including. Our External Affairs Director, Javon Price, who held his ground in a sort of debate and uh, forum conversation with Politico, and also our very own Caitlin Reynolds, who also came under fire from a number of uh, left-wing activists, we'll call them. That's uh, maybe an insult to activists, but she was on with a group called JUV Consulting, and she kicked ass. She was awesome. And she really was able to properly show our mission to the world. And I think that we we owe a debt of gratitude to both Javon and Caitlin for doing such a great job in our organization. This is also going to be airing on Monday, November 2nd. And we just want to wish all the Republican campaigns out there that our members and our staff are working on we wish them all the best um you know finish strong make sure you you know make those final few phone calls make sure you hit those last few doors make sure you're getting all that mail out there um it's time to to win and and we have a number of really good candidates on the ballot this year and it's so important that we get out there and vote and You know, the next couple of days after this airs is probably going to be uh, some some of the craziest in American history. And, you know, I think our message to Gen Z is that it doesn't always have to be this way. And we can we can we can do better, uh, both for our public discourse and for our uh, political environment. And I know that we will. So today, our our guest is Shermichael Singleton, and he is a writer, political commentator for CNN, and a Republican political consultant. He served as the deputy chief of staff at the Department of Housing and Urban Development under Secretary Carson, and he's worked on several campaigns, and particularly for Mitt Romney and Newt Gingrich's presidential campaign. So welcome, Shermichael.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So here at Gen Z GOP we are striving to create a new version of the Republican Party particularly around the issues that matter to young people. So with that in mind I would love for you to just kind of describe your career path and and maybe talk to us a little bit about your experience in the Trump administration.
1: <laughs> oh man you start off with the hard questions first I see. Uh you know look for, for me personally you know, politics was just always uh uh, an ambition of mine, uh, less of the media side of things, which is what I primarily do now and more so uh, understanding the operational side of electoral politics and eventually positioning myself to run for office at some point. That that was my original career. And so I, I did that by going to school, studying uh, political science, studying political theory, Uh, going to graduate school to study the same, but more so focusing on uh, policy, because I think that's so important to be able to understand policy, how to write policy, how good policy impacts people, and how negative policies impact people. I don't think enough of our members uh, understand that, and and I don't say that to take anything away from uh, all of that, all that those individuals have accomplished. I just, i found that individuals who don't Truly understand what it takes to actually write the policies themselves. Uh, don't typically always have a clear understanding of the long-term implications, good or bad. So, so that was my uh, initial and immediate uh, academic journey, if you will. And I was able to accomplish those things. And so my my next thought process was, okay, you have to start getting engaged, which I began uh, in middle school actually with TARS, the Teenage Republican Society, which is a group that it's so funny to me most people have never heard of i meet people and they say oh yeah i'm a republican the younger people uh i guess in our age group i'm only 30 and they say oh i've been a republican for this amount of time or that amount of time and they say well how long have you been a republican i said oh man i've been a republican since i was like 12 years old (laughs) and they sort of laugh and I i said no seriously i started the teenage republican society when i was in middle school." And most people say, oh, I've never heard of that before. And they Google it and they say, oh, wow, this is a, an actual thing. And I said, yeah, no, it's an actual thing. So conservatism and republicanism, if you will, has sort of always been a, a part of, of of my life and my life journey. And so I did that, went off to college, uh, Morehouse in Atlanta, a historically black college, started a college Republican chapter there uh, with the help of the late Senator John McCain and some other individuals and that became very successful and so once i sort of began that process i sort of understood that i needed to have more experiences actually on campaigns and so in college i began volunteering then was fortunate to start getting hired and paid to do various gigs uh starting all the way down with being a door knocker field operations as the more formal term and literally working my way up and i've had or at least worked in close proximity to Every position that you will find on a campaign from all the way down to knocking on doors, making phone calls, to working uh, with fundraisers, to working with campaign managers, to working with senior strategists, to working with folks who do the ad buys. So I truly understand the the full operation, if you will, the full gamut of what it takes to actually build a campaign and to, and to run one successfully. And again, that was all a part of my process of saying, I know at some point I want to run for office. I need to make sure I have all of these experiences. So at some point, 20 years into the future, as I thought at 18, 19, 20, when I decide to run myself, um, I will have had all of those experiences to best inform me, one, to select the best people, to make sure that I'm, you know, even in the position to run, that I'm prepared, that it's the right time. And I think all of those experiences, I would argue, really sort of matter, at least to me, they do. And so I went through that process, finished college, uh, worked on a Speaker of Humanities campaign my senior year at Morehouse. Immediately afterward, uh, joined Romney's campaign after uh, graduating from Morehouse. A couple years later, fast forward to Dr. Carson's presidential run where I was a senior advisor to, to him. And after he dropped out of the race, I went into HUD, which sort of brings us to the second part of your question, which is my experience working uh, for the Trump administration. And, and, you know, it was it was interesting because when Dr. Carson dropped out of uh, the race, the plan was never for him to endorse. That, that was never the plan. The plan was for him to drop out. Uh, we would build something around him around this sort of new chapter in his life of being a political person and seeing where that would go from speaking to books to you know, potentially other uh, business deals. And, and that was what we were planning for. Uh, unfortunately, in politics, things can sort of take various twists and turns and it, and it did in that particular scenario. And so he ultimately decided after having breakfast with, with President Trump one morning down in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, I think he was joined by Mrs. Carson, if I remember correctly, and I'll never forget this. We you know, sitting in my office. I get a phone call from my mentor, uh, Armstrong Williams, is Dr. Carson's long, long-term advisor, and he calls and says, "Hey, we're going to have a call with Doc at whatever time. I need you to be in my office and do not be late. It's really important." I say, "Okay, sure, no big deal." So I get on the call. I, I go into the office. He's there. We called Doc and some other advisors who are still sort of advisors to so Dr. Carson, out, outside advisors, if you will. We're on the call. We're all talking, you know, saying how everyone's doing, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, I just had a breakfast with Donald. And, you know, we're thinking, I'm thinking, I'm looking at my mentor, and I can only imagine what the other guys are thinking. I'm like, okay, well, that, that's fine. No big deal here. And he said, you know, he asked me to endorse him. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, oh God, I hope he said no, you know, I'm not gonna get involved anymore. I ran. That that's it for me. And he said, and uh I told him yes <laughs> and I remember some one of the guys on the call said, Well, Doc, I thought we had all agreed we, we weren't gonna endorse anyone and if we were we were gonna really try to, you know, talk about this and he said, Well, I, I mean I I you know just wanted to endorse him i didn't you know i didn't want to tell him no because you know at, at that point i think trump was the nominee or it was pretty clear he was going to be the nominee i should say and uh and so i said okay well i guess here's that and he said well they they want me to consider a, a potential position if he wins and all these other things and i remember thinking to myself wow this is this is definitely not what we have planned and we're going in a complete different direction but uh if this is the direction that doc wants to go in you know we're going to make sure we support him i'm going to make sure i support him in every way possible and so long story short you get to the end of 2016 uh trump won at some point maybe around uh, end of november early december if i remember correctly uh trump asked dr carson to accept the cabinet position and you guys can google this if you go and google it it took dr carson i think maybe two weeks three weeks to sort of make a decision and that's because he was really trying to decide do i want to do this do i really want to get into politics or do i want to just continue to be a private citizen maybe i have more of an impact there and ultimately he decided hey i am going to do this i'm going to go in and and serve uh at the behalf of the president serve the american people So that process sort of started and then the conversations internally became, well, how do we best assist Dr. Carson with being effective as the secretary of this $48 billion agency with thousands of employees all across the country and contractors and subcontractors, et cetera? That's a very new thing for him. And so it was ultimately decided, Sir Michael, you're the youngest one, you don't own a business, so you're going to be the one to go into the agency with Dr. Carson. I said, okay, well, I don't know about this. Donald Trump, is I was not a big fan of his. I never was. His brand of politics was not my brand of politics. His values were not my values, uh, nowhere near. Uh, But as I thought about it and considered it more and more and talked to my parents and other people about it, I said, you know what? Doc is a good guy. If I can go in and serve him and help him be the best secretary possible, maybe I'll stay a year and then I'll be done. Uh, So you know what? I'm going to do this as long as I keep my mind that I'm serving Doc, I wanna make sure that he's effective. I'm just not gonna really worry about whatever happens at the White House. And then two, it's not really my job to worry about what happens at the White House. So I said, you know what, fine, I'll go in, I'll do it. So I was onboarded uh, for transitions, We helped Dr. Carson get through the transition process, Uh, was sworn in in, at some point in January as the deputy chief of staff at the agency. And sort of began the process as we were expecting Dr. Carson's confirmation vote to come, I believe, around February, it began the process of meeting with all the various heads of all of the different divisions within the agency, trying to figure out what some of their needs were, trying to figure out some of the things that were sort of left over from the previous administration. And, and, and really just to give them um, sort of, I guess, good vibes, if you will, that, hey, yes, this is a Republican administration. They were the last secretary was obviously Democrat because of President Obama. And then a lot of people were skeptical about President Trump. They weren't sure what type of leadership they were going to get. Yeah, people knew who Dr. Carson was, but they weren't sure this guy's a neurosurgeon. Can he really run this agency? So there were all of those concerns. And for me in particular, being one of two of the closest uh, people to Dr. Carson, another person, Dina Bass, who was the press secretary during the presidential campaign, her and I shared the role of deputy chief of staff together. Uh, she handled certain things. I handled other things. And so being in close proximity to him, knowing him very well, knowing his thought process, I sort of said, okay, I need to sort of ease minds here. And, and so I, that was a part of uh, my early on job as well. And so once people sort of became comfortable with say, you know what, we're going to give Dr. Carson a shot. We're going to give this a chance, and let's just see how things work out. Then I began the process of organizing some sort of initial things. Uh, that Dr. Carson would do, one of the big things that was supposed to be a really big rollout was like a a multi-state tour across the country where Dr. Carson was going to visit some major places to look at some of the things, uh, HUD innovations and some housing things across the country. And as I began that process, maybe halfway there, I think we're almost to the finish line, uh, I was fired. Uh, The administration decided, you know, we don't want anyone who's ever criticized the president to work for the president. And I said, okay, well, that's not a big deal for me. I'm not a big fan. So, you know, hey, it is what it is. I was only here to serve Dr. Carson. So this is a decision you guys want to make. Hey, life goes on. And so that ultimately was sort of my experience, if you will. But I will say this about some of the people who worked for Trump, some who I still consider friends today, some really decent people who worked for him. I don't think any of them are still a part of the administration today. I think they've all sort of returned to the private sector. But when Carson dropped out of the race uh, and and ultimately endorsed Trump, we had a lot of communications with a lot of various divisions within Trump's campaign, folks who handled traveling, folks who handled messaging, folks who handled communication. Some well-known people, by the way, and all of my experiences with those individuals were really, really good. I mean, I just thought the world of a lot of them, uh, despite some of, of my skepticism, if you will, about Trump. And so I I just want to say that because I think a lot of times when people think about Trump and all the things that they may associate as being a negative, they just immediately think that all the people who work for the guy must also be horrible people. And I can't speak for every single person, but I can certainly say, at least from my experiences with certain individuals, I just thought, man, these are really rock star folks. I just wish that our guy was somebody else, I mean, the person who would ultimately become president, but, you know, it is what it is. so, So that's sort of been my experiences, guys.
2: Definitely. And thanks for sharing that. That's an incredible story. And you've accomplished a lot before the age of 30. So let's fast forward a couple years to this past summer, when you announced that you're kind of leaving the party. And I think that's a feeling that a lot of us can associate with, especially in this Republican era. Mm -hmm. But maybe talk about your experiences and what kind of led you? Obviously, I think you touched on some aspects of it just now. But like, what led you to making that decision?
1: I mean, for me, I I sort of joked about this with some friends uh, when the Charlottesville incident happened, and not even necessarily the language of Trump that bothered me. It was how he just handled the whole thing. I just thought it was just horrible. And and the statement of, oh, there are bad – there are good people here, but there are also some good people marching with the bad people I just just linguistically, I just found that statement within itself to just be an illogical fallacy. I don't know how any good person could do anything in association with bad people. If I know that bad people are doing something, if I'm a good person and perhaps I care about an issue, I'm not going to associate myself with the bad people who may also care about the same issue, but they may care about it for negative reasons or, or for reasons that, that may have an end that I may not believe in. And so that, that statement alone bothered me. And I had stated to some friends jokingly, if I were not fired from the administration, I would have quit when that moment happened. That, to me, would have just been a bridge too far. But I say all of that to say, as I assess sort of Trump and I assess Trumpism and I assess its role uh, in, in the transformation of the Republican Party and the impact it's had on conservatism, it just just for me, it just it sort of become clear that this is not the the type of party that I joined at 12 years old when I started a Teenage Republican Society chapter in Texas. This was not the type of conservatives that I remember growing up in my neighborhood. This was not the people that I remember mentoring me and, and, befri- and befriending me as I grew up in politics. It, it was not the values that those people had. And so for me, it, it just sort of became very clear that in order for me to sort of be more of an objective spectator, if you will, in in politics writ large, that I just can't associate myself with something that has turned so far right, and I don't mean that ideologically, but so far right in the wrong direction, uh, that it sort of becomes difficult to criticize something while still being in association with it. It's one thing if if, if that, that thing that you're in association with is, hasn't gone too far to the extreme, right? Then I think you can still have membership and say, look, I'm still trying to fight and bring this thing back uh, to the center so that we can sort of have a great healthy party. But when something goes so far to the extreme, it, it almost becomes as if you're screaming on deaf ears trying to correct something and no one else is listening. When it becomes very clear that this is the direction that the party wants to go, this is the direction that everyone sort of embraced, you know, do you really even have any legitimacy anymore in in trying to articulate a different path? And so for me, I sort of believed that it was a no, Uh, and so that was a part of the reason, and and then again, I think a fundamental reason for me was just when I think about conservatism as an ideology, as a philosophy, what, what does it mean? How is it to be actualized in policy and in politics and in governance? It just became clear, again, to me, that this was a direction that was just so disparate from what conservatism was intended or has intended to to be. When you look at Burke, all the way up to the late Roger Scruton, who recently died of cancer several months ago, when I think about those individuals and their intellectual writings of this is what this belief system looks like in the body politic, it, it just became inconsistent. It just was not the same. And so I just said, you know what, I, I just can't be a part of this anymore. And, and so that's what ultimately sort of led me to my decision of saying, you know, I think I'm just going to become sort of a non-affiliated guy uh, because a, a party isn't supposed to impact the ideology or influence the ideology. Uh, the party is merely the mechanism by which the ideology is actualized in politics, particularly electoral politics. Uh, but the ideology itself is always supposed to remain the same. And that, and that's sort of different with Trumpism. It, it, the Trumpism has sort of changed the ideology, and then that's just crazy to me. The ideology should be what impacts the party. The ideology is what should set the the standards of what the party should be to 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 live by, and and that's just not the case anymore. And so that, again, you know, it was all of those variables that ultimately led me to saying, you know what, I just don't want to be a part of this anymore.
0: So you're, you're, you're not telling me that you're some sort of squishy moderate that has that has no principles? I I can't believe that. What a, what a novel concept. Um,
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's so funny. Let me just say something to that point. It's so funny that people say, well, if you don't support the president, you're not a conservative. And I always ask those people, what is conservatism to you? And they'll say, well, it's a limited government. Um, it's... Um, Limited government, they'll say is less taxes and deregulation, less government in, in an individual's life, and I say, okay, yeah, th- those are all good good talking points, and sure, generally speaking, that is what conservatism represents, but then I'll, I'll rebut, and I'll say, but I'm asking you a different question. What is conservatism? And so what do you mean? And I said, well, what if I were to ask you what is a Christian? And then they, people will respond and say, well, a Christian means you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in God, and you go to church, and that's it. And then I look and I say, huh, it's no wonder you don't know what a conservative is. And and so I say that to say if someone says, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I go to church, therefore I'm a Christian. Is that true? Or is to be a Christian a lifestyle, a way of being? See, that's the way I interpret conservatism. To be a conservative isn't merely, oh, I support judges. I support deregulation, I support less limited government, therefore I am a conservative. No, to be a conservative to me is a way of life. It is a disposition that says, this is the way I view the world, and this is the way I view myself in the world, this is the way I behave in the world, and this is the way that I think others should behave in the world, because I believe that these set of core principles and ideas are fundamental to shaping a society that is the best and healthiest society, blah, 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 right? But right. if one merely says that they just believe in those things, but they don't live it. Do they believe in it? Do you get what I'm saying here? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and so, and, and so for me, an, an individual, an idea is bigger than the individual, and, and that's what I don't think people who don't like conservatives or Republicans, who don't support Trump, understand. Trump at some point will go. But the impact that he will have on conservatism, the impact that he will have on the party writ large, will be so demonstrative in a very negative way in the perceptions of the party. Uh, They will be so negative in in shaping what future generations think of conservatism that they won't have this idea, uh, as uh, Michael Oakeshott wrote, that uh, to be a conservative is to prefer the known to the unknown right or that we don't believe in utopian bliss because we understand that the idea of perfection is non existing uh with man but it is also to understand that one is not to indiscriminately force their ideas or their conservatism on another individual anymore than we expect that other individual to uh to put their views or ideas of the world on us right they don't understand those concepts and, and so yeah. you, you know for me when people criticize me and say you don't support the president I sort of laugh and I, and I say, well, if you can give me a legitimate reason why I as a conservative should support Trump outside of these policy positions, then I will absolutely agree with you. And I've never met a person who could do that.
0: So I, I know we're hitting up against the time here, but uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you. The second thing I want to say is Ryan, our co-host here, is a huge member of the Teenage Republicans. Yep um and i, f- oh, I think feel hilarious it was <laughs> yeah yeah so i uh i run it's the michael and the chapter. two yeah. in
2: the universe <laughs> yeah. very ironic so yeah thank you for coming on i know we're up against the clock but it means a lot for you kind of sharing your path because i think a lot of younger people are kind of in this weird scenario right now in this party saying like where do we go from here because we don't exactly feel at home and that's one of the things our organization's really trying to hit on is that this Republican Party has kind of been morphed over time. And mm-hmm. eventually Generation Z is going to have their opportunity to morph it. Mm-hmm. And it has to be around the issues that matter to us and less about the rhetoric and more about the policy. So I think your your experience matches up very closely with kind of what we want.
1: No, Ryan, I, I think – look, when I think about Gen Z, I'm a millennial. When I think about you guys and the way you guys view the world, and even the way people in my group, uh, my age group view the world, I'm 30, so I think millennials begin at like 26, I think, and then you, I think we end at like 40 or 39, one of the two. I think the older millennials are certainly a, a little more closed-minded in some of their views, those who are Republican or conservative leaning uh, but I think once you get to around my age, younger, and certainly with you guys, you guys view the world in a very fresh and interesting way. And and I think when you read the writings of like even uh, um, Oakshot or, or Robert Nozick or Edmund Burke or. Um, Adam Smith, The Wealth of Nations, and, and it's so funny when you read these things that people sort of pick out what they like, but they never read anything in its entirety, which is so hilarious to me because people even talk about capitalism and they say, well, this is the way it's supposed to be, and I said, well, do you also realize that Adam Smith also made leeway for people who suffer in society and and for the and and how we're supposed to care for those folks through this sort of capitalist idea. But no one ever talks about those aspects of, of the book, which is hilarious to me. Uh, and, and when I also think about Smith, I think about uh, his book on the theory of moral sentiments, which was an amazing, incredible read. Uh, if you guys get a chance, I highly recommend you read it. It's a, sort of a challenging book, but it's, it's worth the read. And, 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 and Smith sort of talks about uh, human connection and in and of itself and our relationship to each other. Uh, in in a society and and the various things that people go through and how we should identify with those things, even if we don't immediately share those experiences. And yet we only talk about uh, uh, Wealth of Nations and again, only aspects of Wealth of Nations. And so I'm excited about what you guys are going to do, you guys who are maybe 10 years behind me, because I think it's a fresh set of eyes on things, right? And I think you guys don't just look at things and say, I'm going to cherry pick what I like here, what I like there, you guys look at the full gamut, and you say, no, 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 I want to look at the full landscape, and I want to understand the full landscape, and that gives me hope, because that tells me that if there's any possibility for conservatism to have viability in the future, it's with you guys, and it's the way that I've always believed conservatism should always be, I just think I was probably a little ahead of of the curve here, (laughs) and that's okay, I, I have no problem with that, but but I just think it's so important that we're empowering you guys, because, again, the way you guys view the world is the way I think it should be viewed. And that is just unbarred. That's without criticism. That, that, that's, that's without bias. It is just I want to look at things differently. I want to look at all the information, and then I'll assess what's the best way forward. And, and, and I, I just think we're going to be so much better off because of that as a society and maybe, heck, even as a world.
0: A special thanks to Shermichael Singleton for sharing his experience and expertise with us. He's truly an asset to our conservative movement, and he will be a crucial part of where the party goes next. And with that, that's a wrap on episode 12 of the Gen Z GOP podcast. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Gen Z G-O-P-O-R-G, And be sure to sign up on our website, genzgop.org. Thanks, everybody, and have a great week.